I'll tell you right now, though, Zechariah is not easy. It's a complicated read, and it's very difficult. The truth is this. They, they've been off in captivity, and I think Zechariah speaks to people who are back now in the Holy Land, no longer off as captives in Babylon. But peace is complicated. It's not easy. You can bring the people back to the Holy Land, but that doesn't mean that the people are holy. And how God's going to go on and do this work is one of the things that this prophet Zechariah is struggling with. And one of the things he thinks God is speaking to him about. And these visions paint a picture that the work is still to be done. And there's an inner transformational piece that has to be done in their psyche, in their soul, in their spirits in order to make them the people of God. And so this text, which is striving and seeking for a way forward about how God is going to change them and make them the people of God. It's one thing to have them back home. It's another thing for them to be in sync with God. And these chapters are seeking and longing. And again, the picture is anything but clear. It's thoroughly Complicated. The first eight chapters of this book are uh, filled with visions that are difficult and, and, and challenging. But they give way in time to chapter 9, where this beautiful promise and vision is captured. Will you follow along as I read for you? Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a coat, on the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from the Egyptians and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Now you, good Bible readers and Sunday school students, I uh, trust that you hear these texts. They echo in your mind and hearts. You might remember that these texts have been a, used as a picture. This coming king that brings the peace to the world and offers salvation to the world is precisely the king that Christians think Jesus is. And so in Matthew and John chapter 12, we celebrate and echo these texts when we Read in those chapters how the old scripture writers from the New Testament time go back and picture this text and draw on this text to describe Jesus' triumphal entry. On Palm Sunday, we celebrate these texts and this Zechariah text of the one who comes humbly in the name of peace, bringing salvation, is none other than Jesus. But I would suggest to you that this beautiful text about peace 
is far more than just a sort of more profound echo, a, a kind of a second meaning that we can read into Jesus's life on special occasions. But it marks the purpose and ministry and mission of Jesus all along. If you take Luke's gospel, for example, a gospel that mentions this word peace, and it's uh, carried on into the book of Acts, but Luke mentions this notion of peace again and again in the first chapters associated with Jesus' birth. Three times this word peace is used. It can't be a mistake. Another Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, prophesies and mentions that there's the work of God at hand and what God is doing through the birth of his son and, and, and then the birth of Jesus that his son is to celebrate is to get our feet ready and put us on the path to peace. You remember perhaps even with more specificity that the angels in these early chapters of Luke, they come and make an appearance and make an announcement. They are pronouncing this hope announcing this gospel and they say peace on earth in the name of the savior messiah king who is born simeon as well mentions in these early chapters i'll jump ahead though in jesus's ministry this same peace is prominent along the journey to jerusalem so famous in the middle of luke's gospel you see at the outset of it this word peace figures prominently again when Jesus sends out the 70 on their mission, they go out to announce the gospel. And they proclaim peace. In verses 5 and 6 of chapter 10, you have that strange notion, the word peace piled up there three times that they go and when they go into a house, you say, peace be upon this house. And if there's a man of peace in the house to receive it, that's well. But if not, the peace will return to you. This peace, though, is to be announced and people who would receive the peace and justice that God gives will receive it in gladness and have their lives changed by it. In chapter 19, when the long journey to Jerusalem is almost done, again, as he goes into Jerusalem, Luke celebrates this notion, but this time it's the peace that's noted in the heavenly realm, not peace on earth, but it's gotta be intentional to play off the first peace that the angels announce. This is the peace acknowledged in the heavenly rule. And then the risen Jesus, of course, in chapter 24, again, grants them Peace in the name of the victory of, and power of Jesus being raised from the dead. Now, dear ones, I don't commonly take you through the, the weeds. I, I want to try my best to be uh, faithful to you and, and not make this some sort of lecture. But if I could just have your patience just for a while. This notion about the 70 is not something kind of... Uh, 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 just of a, a number that's kind of picked out of the air. The truth is this, the 70 represents, in my judgment, the nations that God has placed. It goes all the way back to Abraham. When Abraham was going to be a witness and his people were going to be a witness and a channel of blessing to the entire nation. Along the way, Deuteronomy pictures this, Psalm 82 pictures this, God assigns himself as to be the ruler over this people, but assigns other spiritual beings, create, uh, creature, uh, creations uh, uh, for sure, but other powerful spiritual dominion havers. 
He gives them authority over all the nations. They rebel against God just like the people of Israel rebel against God. And so the world knows havoc. And so many of these nations are forcefully and violently going their own directions and seeking power and wreaking havoc and causing violence. It is the world under God, the supervision that God has put in place. But now that world has gone wrong. It's no coincidence that he sends out 70 people. 70 messengers and what they announce is that the king has come and the king is claiming authority and the kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of God now is pushing out into the world and it's reclaiming all the lost wayward rebel kingdoms and God is calling all of the nations back to himself and it's his victory that wins this. And so Christians have come to a reading, eventually a reading of Zechariah that says this king that's pictured uh, about four times prominently in Zechariah, this king that is pictured, this coming one who gives the peace, who, who breaks the bow and, and makes warfare impossible. He does away with the instruments of war. He extends his peace from sea to sea. Uh, he, he extends his rule. He brings the purpose and kingdom of God. This is none other than Jesus. And the peace we seek and the peace that will satisfy the world is the peace that Jesus can bring. We live in a world of violence. We live in a world frustrated. I think our patience is wearing very thin with this virus in our own experience. And even if we are fed, and fairly comfortable at home, the burden of this is still heavy, but so many are not comfortable and not fed and are sick. And the frustration seems to touch all of us. And the worry seems to touch all of us. And violence seems to be so visible, so tangible, we can feel it in our spirits. It's like brewing all around us. And in a world that has known so much war and so much calamity and so much massacre in this sophisticated age that we think of as the modern age, it's understandable that we may lose our perspective and our grasp on the hope of a coming king. But I must appeal to you today that my hope for this world is not built on any politic, not even the noble aspirations of this country for which I am profoundly, profoundly grateful. I am graded that, uh, grateful that in principle we are given to these noble ideas and that we aspire to them. I'm grateful. It holds a promise that is wonderful. And I wish that promise could be known and, and shared by every citizen, everyone. But you and I must keep our eyes beyond the political. In fact, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to be so much good for your world unless you look beyond your world and your circumstance to a greater vision of the hope that God will bring. 
If you can't keep your eyes on this kingdom and this king who is coming and his desire to bring peace, then you're not going to be much use in this world around you that needs peace. It's the opposite of how people think. People think a vision of something far off like that is not so important. It doesn't make a difference in the day-to-day -day world. And such a vision just doesn't seem to really play out in us. And I wanna to say to you, it's exactly the opposite. The truth is this, any political progress along the way that we know here on the ground in a tangible way, is rooted in the fact that so many people kept their eyes on that long-term vision when this king comes and he brings peace. Peace has been in the formula all along. It comes in installments. But don't let me scare you. I'm going to go back to Genesis, but we're almost done. But don't let me scare you all together because you need to understand the stories of creation all around the people of the of Israel, all around the Hebrew people, the stories of creation were about violence, God's fighting, and even picturing the world as the fallen carcass of a God. God, God's fight, and they struggle, and they know violence, and the world is born of that violence, and you get this clear image that the world is inherently violent, and there doesn't seem to be any reason to think things could ever be different. We come from violence. We know violence, and we only maintain some victory, some partial moment when we are violent toward others and win at their expense. And I just want to say to you, you are not damned and you are not doomed to live in the place of violence. Your heart does not need to be shaped and concede to violence's victory. In the book of Genesis, it tells us that God creates an orderly world, and there's an order that, the, that is established, and he does it in an orderly fashion, and there's a beautiful order, a sovereignty where he speaks and things conform, and it is a beautiful world, a world of peace, a world of peace. Now, Christians know there's a gone wrongness to this world and a terrible burden that presses this world down. We know that in a way, I think, more profoundly than anyone else. But we know that God didn't make this a world of violence. We know he made it right and well. And Jesus comes to reclaim it. And his reclaiming it is not just with the people of Israel, but by extension in Jesus, Israel fulfills its mission. And now through Jesus, the peace that we can know from God is shared with the, all the nations and all the rebels and, and all the wayward institutions and all the brokenness with all their violence. And none of those things can stand up to what Jesus has brought. And the king brings his peace in installments, it is true. Uh, God enters into the messiness of this world and struggles with us and draws us into the battle with him. I don't know why he has such patience, why he has such stubborn loyalty to keep bringing us to share the battle with him. But thanks be to God, to a grace that is amazing. And when Jesus comes the first time, he comes and he announces peace. And the peace that 
resides in the heavens and the peace that resides is now poured out on the earth and those two match each other beautifully and the peace that God is establishing and announcing like this passage is an announcement passage. It's a, it's a bragging passage. In the ancient world, a, a, a king would go out and send someone to announce the victory that he has established. And every one of his subjects would hear that he's going to do this or he's just defeated this enemy. He's just accomplished this. He's just built this great city, this great building. And they would share in the joy of belonging as a subject to the citizen king. Now, Christians took this very notion, this very word, and they co-opted it for the gospel. In fact, that's what the word gospel means. It's an announcement. And you're reading an announcement of the king out of this chapter 9 that is coming. A long victory in these first eight, eight verses now coming to this pronouncement that we read. The king is here. It's time for you to stand up and get ready and acknowledge the king. It's time for you to celebrate the king it's time for you to embrace the king. But this king doesn't rule just by smashing chariots. This king faces the gone wrongness of this world and lets it be poured out on him his very self. This is a father sending his son and a son on mission and loyalty to the father. And we can only see what's going on here because his spirit is working in our blinded, disoriented hearts to let us see what God is truly doing. He is entering into the violence and breaking the violence and being victorious over the violence. Now, I'm not one of those who think that God will never pick up and use violence again in, in the conduct of, in conducting of his kingdom. But I want to celebrate this, that somehow what Jesus has done has set the stage. And now in the spirit, his people go out. And whenever we get things right, we make a little colony, a little outpost of peace. And whenever we treat people by kingdom rules, we see a little witness to peace. And whenever we are responsive to the Spirit, we send some down payment, something in us that gives us hope, some little ray of peace. And I want to tell you once again, you are not damned and you are not doomed. To be victim to the violence that has come your way. But in Jesus Christ, you can find peace. Even the wrongdoer can find peace with God for the evil that we have done. And then, as the story of God unfolds, we can, once we find our peace with God, find of peace that belongs with one another. We can have a mutual peace with one another. And our hope and our witness so desperately needed in the world today is not just a political hope, not even on this 4th of July, but it's a hope that looks past any politic and looks to the peace. The king is coming, and we will know 
his peace.